The number is 237. Number 237. Let's stand together as we sing. Number 237. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus and If you're just coming in, it's number 237. For me it was in the garden. sing and then shake hands with the person on the other side of your neighbor. Once you're finished fellowshipping, you can be seated. You can be seated. Turn to number 322. Number 322. Praise the name of Jesus. One more time. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. He's my rock. He's my fortress. He's my deliverer and my All right. The next hymn in there is one we're someone requested this when it's not one we sing often number 323 
sweet the name. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. It says his sorrow, heals his wounds, and drives away his fear, and drives away his fear. It makes a wounded spirit whole and calms a troubled stand together and ushers you come as we sing this one Jesus my shepherd brother friend my prophet priest and king my lord my life my way my end accept the praise I bring accept the praise I bring all right let's pray together father we thank you tonight for blessing of being in your house. We thank you for uh, those around us who have come to sing and to listen to your word. Pray you bless this time of offering in Jesus' name. Amen. Chicago. Chicago, the windy city. Enjoy a deep dish pizza and Polish cuisine. Home of the White Sox, Cubs, and Bulls, among other professional teams. The nearly 9 million residents make it the third largest city in the U.S. In Chicago, believers are outnumbered 9 to 1. 
There's only one Southern Baptist church for every 32,000 people. Chicago is in desperate need for sharing the gospel within the city and suburbs. We need your church to come alongside our brothers and sisters in Chicago. The first thing we can all do is pray for the church planters laboring in the field. Next, we can support church planters by providing the resources they need to reach the lost. Even better is for our Kentucky Baptist churches to send teams and serve alongside these missionaries in Chicago. Learn more about how Kentucky Baptist Convention's vision for Chicago and your church can pray, support, and go in Jesus' name by checking out kybaptist.org vision. That is a, gr a great video there. Uh, we are a Kentucky Baptist Convention church, and they have several partnership cities, and one is Chicago, uh, which is, like they said, 8 million people. There's only 265 Southern Baptist churches there, so the needs are enormous. They have several partnerships, and what they do is they plan these vision trips down there. So one of the things our church is trying to do is look for and be more engaged in missions as well as more mission opportunities. They have a vision trip coming up to Chicago with the KBC, and it's going to be um, April 20th and 21st. It's Monday and Tuesday. They fly you up there and, and show you uh, some, some of the church plants and some of the churches that are need support and could use prayers as well as mission teams serving in and they do that and it only cost us $350 so if that's something you might ever be interested in doing in and going up to Chicago it's only for two days and the KBC flies you up there um, but you have to fly out of Louisville but um, I think that's neat I, th I think it's exciting to see our convention partner with cities such as Chicago to go up there and certainly serve open your Bible to the book of Acts Acts chapter 14 verses 8 through 28. While you turn there, I do want to share, um, I always, uh, I have meetings, my favorite meeting slot time is like 4 5 o'clock on Sunday afternoon because meetings have to end because church starts at 6 o'clock. Always more important the end meeting time of being. So I was meeting with Jordan Bells. He's, uh, next Sunday we are ordaining Jordan Bells as a deacon. So it's going to be a very special ordination service. And it's so special, David Dell. Jordan wants to sing a song next Sunday night. So we can get him in to uh, sing up here. But I was thinking about that, David. Uh, really, he needs some practice for Sunday night. Maybe Sunday morning he could run through it one time in front of everybody, and then he'll be good and warmed up. So he just, uh, uh, but um, it's going to be a blessing. And afterwards, we are going to, uh, Miss Jamie Honglong is going to bake uh, uh, cakes for everybody. Or not for everybody, for the, the group. And we're going to go, after it's over, we're going to go downstairs and for a reception and for, for cake and coke, I guess, in the fellowship hall. So that's tomorrow. That's next Sunday night. It's going to be a fantastic event. Always exciting to see young men being called and step up and serve in a church. Um, this is something every year you want to have assembly line, a pipeline of young men coming up saying, hey, I'm, real, I'm ready to step up and be a leader and be allowed to be used by the Lord. So that will be next Sunday evening at 6 o'clock. be a very special service. And Jordan will be uh, sharing and singing as well. So with that, open your Bibles, Acts chapter 14. This here also, make sure you pull out your bulletin insert here from, uh, from your bulletin for the one from Sunday night. We are going through the book of Acts. In fact, I have a, a, a map up here. We are in the first missionary journey. Here's our, remember what happened here. 
Antioch is where they were first called Christians. This is where all three missionary journeys came from, Antioch over here. This is in current-day Turkey, back in Bible times, that area was called Syria. They left, this is Paul and Barnabas, they left, and they came here, out here on Cyprus, this island, and they came up into, this is what the Bible calls Asia Minor, and this is current-day Turkey in this area, and they would go up there, and they would plant churches. And what's neat about it is, and we're going to be here in Derby. And then uh, towards the end. And what, what happened was Paul and Barnabas, when their missionary journey ended, they came back through those churches and they were appointing elders and leaders and pastors and deacons. They were appointing people in leadership positions. So what happened is Paul went in those communities and he planted a church. He began a new work. But then he came back and followed up with them. And that's and that we're going to be looking at what church planning is, and it's the ongoing process of discipleship. In our church, really in every church, a healthy church should be having young men called into the ministry, and women called into the ministry, young men stepping up, Brother Hurd, serving and being ordained as a deacon. It should have families and men and women stepping up as the call to the ministry to go to seminary, to train, and then you should have folks being called into the mission field and being called to serve in other churches. I mean, a church is a living organism of people that constantly should have a, a front door. The front door should be new faces coming to visit, our greeter team, our assimilation, but then there should be a back door. But the back door shouldn't be a back door to other church down the street because they're not happy here. That's not a back door. A back door is they're leaving, but they're not leaving because they're unhappy campers. They're leaving to do missions and ministry, and they're leaving to serve. If folks don't leave, I mean, I'd still be at Shades Mountain Baptist Church in Vestavia Hills, Alabama, sitting next to my mother on the pew there, the seat they sit in, at their church. God raises up and He calls people. It's the Lord's plan for us to be engaged in church planning and seeing people called into the ministry, called to be a deacon, called to serve. And I w the question should always be, throughout your life, Lord, are you calling me? What's my role? Where's my call? What should I be doing? Broadway Baptist Church should be engaged in missions. Do you know our church was planted in 1952 by Porter Memorial Baptist Church? If the folks from Porter in 1952 didn't go over there where current day Zaxby's is, there was a house, that's where it started. If they didn't leave their church to plant this church 67 years ago, we would not be here today. We wouldn't. Missions in ministry. Church is a living organism. Constant. There should be constant turnover. And the turnover is people being sent to serve. 
And, and that's what we see because Paul is doing this. He's giving us a pattern. This is why we're studying the book of Acts. And why are we going through this on Sunday nights? This book is foundational for how Broadway Baptist Church and how the structure of this church should be. And the reason why is because the DNA of this church should be one of evangelism, discipleship, and missions and ministry. I want you all to know, next Sunday night should be special. I mean, I remember, I mean, how, how old was I, Sherry? We were, when I was ordained, I was 26. Sherry was 27. It was at First Baptist Church of New Orleans. Do you remember that night? I think you were expecting, where are you at? You were expecting Daniel Jr. We were young. How old, how old is Jordan and Chelsea? How old are they? 28, that's us, Sherry. That's us 15, 16 years ago. That church, First Baptist New Orleans, loved on us. They supported us. My, my, I really had a grilling when I went before the other deacons. They, I mean, it got down to how much money I gave and how much I tied. They pulled the records. I mean, it was, they didn't hold anything back. We were very generous here. Next Sunday, this young family, love on these folks. Give them a hug, support them, send them a card, pray for them. Guys, that was me 16, 17 years ago. Chelsea was Sherry, I was Jordan. And they're stepping into a role, and they're saying, I'm, I'm ready to go. This is, I, 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 I have no clue where they're going, but they're just, they just they're, they're willing, they are eager to be used by the Lord. That's what we're about to read here. That's what Paul and Barnabas were like. In a healthy church, a healthy Broadway church, we are constantly developing and loving and showering these. When you see Jordan and Chelsea at church, say, hey guys, after Sunday school, after 1109, I want to take you all out to lunch. I want to invite you to come. We had folks in New Orleans that used to do that. And tragically, one was killed in a plane accident that did that. It was. It was a tragic loss. He was in the Air Force, and it was a, he helped a test pilot, and it, it crashed. They would take us out to lunch, and just mentoring. They saw me as a young minister in seminary, and they were pouring their life into us. All right, open your Bible. Acts chapter 14, verse 8. In Lystra, so here's our... Let's go back to our map. So let's see where we're at here in Lystra. We're right here. This is where we're at. Remember, we're just trucking along. Paul's just going to these little towns, starting churches, planting the gospel. <clears throat> in Lystra, a man who was sitting, was there, who was sitting without strength in his feet. He had never walked and been lame from birth. He listened as Paul spoke. Do you know that's how you know if Holy Spirit's speaking to someone People who make eye contact with me. People who bring their Bible and they're following along. Folks who come to church prepared and they've got a pen, piece of paper. Those are the ones that get the most out of it. Because they're there with their sense of how I'm here to listen to what the Lord says. Paul recognizes this. <clears throat> After looking directly at him and seeing that he had faith to be healed. Paul said in a loud voice, stand up on your feet. 
And he jumped up and began to walk around. This man was lame. You know, when I read these words, this is our daughter. If, we had, if she was still in China, this would be Esther. She could not walk. She could do what we call the pew walk. That's when you hold on to stuff. But there was no possible way. So this is Esther here. She's listening. And Paul sees, hey, this little girl, this little guy, he's like, he's into what the, the gospel message. The people who are eager and listen to you, those are the ones that want to hear. Those are the ones that respond to Jesus. And Paul, sensitive to the Holy Spirit, he realizes, hey, this, this lame man is wanting more. So Paul, with the boldness that he has, just tells him, stand up and walk, get on your feet. He jumped up and began to walk around. Verse 11, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. So we knew between those two on the missionary journey, that meant Paul, he was the spokesman, and Zeus, which was Barnabas they're calling, he would have been the organizer. He was more of the admin guy. He was the administrator. He's making it happen while Paul just got up there and presented the gospel. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the town, brought bulls and wreaths to the gates because he intended with the crowds to offer sacrifice. Now, this is the type of mixed response you get. A lot of times, even with us, if you are advancing and preaching the gospel, some people have no clue what a church should be standing for. They think we're here just to feed the homeless. We're here to teach children to read. I mean, all sorts of folks. Uh, we're here for political reasons. They have no, no, there's all sorts. We're here for entertainment, stuff for children. Uh, unchurched, lost people do not understand the mission and the passion of the, and the purpose of the church. And you can't fault them for that because their eyes are blinded. Keep going here. Verse 14. The apostles Barnabas and Paul tore their robes when they heard this and rushed into the crowd shouting, People, why are you doing these things? We are people also just like you and we are proclaiming good news to you that you turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea and everything in them. In past generations he allowed all the nations to go on their way although he did not leave himself without a witness since he did what is good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling you with food and your hearts with joy. Even though they said these things, they barely stopped the crowds from sacrificing to him. So what's happening here is they're trying to stop. They spoke up out against this, but you know how it goes. Some folks don't listen, so they just continue to sacrifice. They're, they're lost. They're sacrificing these worthless idols and bulls to Paul and Barnabas. And Paul is using that as an opportunity to point them to Jesus and to remind them that God has always had a witness, including ourselves. The reason we're here, the purpose we're here, is to be a great witness to you. Verse 19, look what happens here. Some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. So let's go back to that map. So I'm going to explain to you what happened here. 
Look here on this map. So remember we're in Lystra. Now the Antioch they were talking about was Pisidian Antioch. There's two Antiochs. I know it's confusing. Pisidian Antioch is in the interior of Turkey. And then Iconium. They had already been there. The Jews had run them out of these towns. And what happened was they had heard, they had traveled down to Lystra and that they were teaching and preaching there. So the Jews think, well, well we need to go down there and, and push them out of town. The Jews viewed Paul's message as an enemy, as opposing to what they were doing, because Paul was preaching that Jesus was the Messiah. And the Jews, even today, they do not believe that. If you meet a Messianic Jew, even though they will claim to be Jewish by default, other Jews, what they would call Orthodox Jews, they would look at a Messianic Jew and say, you're not a real Jew. And the reason why is because you have accepted Jesus as the Messiah. They would call them a Christian. So they don't even view these folks as real Jews to begin with. And that's similar to what's happening here. These folks are chasing them down and pushing, trying, and will push them out of this town. So they come down from Antioch in verse 19 in Iconium. And, when, and they won over the crowds. Look at this. They stoned Paul. It's always tough to get stoned at church. Happened to Paul. And dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. Do you know why they drug him out of the city? This is why Jesus was also executed outside the city. It's very important. You were not allowed to execute someone inside the city. And now, what's interesting, that was a Roman rule. You, you didn't want to execute someone inside the, city, inside the city gates. So they were hoping he would be breathing a little bit until they threw his body outside the city. And he got dumped outside the gates. They thought he was dead. Now the real question is, was Paul dead? I tend to believe probably he was close to being dead, but he wasn't dead. He wasn't resurrected. Um, I, don't, I don't think Paul was resurrected. I do think Paul certainly um, healed him, obviously, but he wasn't, um, he wasn't killed right then. So they dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. After the disciples gathered around him, they're praying, that's what they mean, they're praying around him. He got up and went <clears throat> into the town. The next day, he left with Barnabas and Derby for Derby. Now what's interesting, it says he went into the town. That's the town of Lystra there, where they were at. What's powerful about that, remember what they think about Barnabas and Paul? They thought that was Zeus and Hermes. They thought, goodness, these people were just killed. Now the next day, they're back into the city. So they probably continue thinking these folks were gods. Whereas Paul used that opportunity to say, the believers, the Jesus I'm teaching and preaching about, because there's power in prayer, they gathered around me and prayed, and I got up. This reminds us that when there's a crisis that occurs, when something terrible has happened, we need to stop and pray then. How sad would it have been? Paul, who's half dead outside the city, 
He had just gotten stoned. I mean, the Jewish leaders thought the man was dead. They thought they had taken care of this problem here. Paul, he's dead laying there outside the gates. And they left and went back to their hometowns. The believers didn't say, oh, we'll put him on the prayer list and we'll pray over him Wednesday night. Immediately, they stopped. They gathered around. They held hands. They prayed over this man. There are some needs. There are many requests when they come through. They need immediate prayer. For whatever you're doing, you need to stop and you need to pray for them. If you are ever driving down the highway or the road out here and you see a car accident and it looks like it's not good, folks are hurt, you need to be turn, you turn the radio off and pray for them. Lift those people up. When you see an accident or you see tragedy happen in someone's life, we are called to pray to the Lord. That, I know if I was Paul and I had been stoned and laying for death, I would hope they would immediately pray for me. There's an urgency in prayer. And this is one, obviously, Paul was very grateful for. He received it. He goes back into the town, and then he's going to leave for the next, uh, for the next city. Um, before we move on to the next section, I want to bring out one thing here. Because I don't want you all to miss this. I think this is the main point. I Certainly, the Lord spoke to me about this. In verse 9, but look at verse 9. Remember, Paul's preaching, and it's about this lame man who can't walk, and he, he, he's listening intently. It says, he listened as Paul spoke. It's very important. After looking directly at him, this is what Paul's doing, and seeing that he had faith to be healed. Now, that's an interesting phrase there. Seeing that he had faith to be healed. Are we able to do that? Are we able to see if someone has faith to be healed? Guys, I don't even know if we even think about it. I don't even know if it crosses our mind. When we see a human need, is our response, does that man believe, does he have the faith to be healed of this need? of this disease, of what's crippling them. Paul had a pair of eyes that in many ways we need to be asking God to open our eyes to be the same. And God did open Paul's eyes. Remember, they were like scales when they fell off. God had blinded Paul when he saw Jesus on the Damascus road. Now his spiritual eyes are different. Every time we see someone, we should be looking at them through the eyes of faith. Sherry went and had her no nails, I almost said nose, her nails and her toes done. I think it was yesterday. <clears throat> Sherry and I, we went out for Valentine's last night, so I gave her an excuse to go, uh, I guess to go, go, the, go, go to the salon. So, and one of the great things, I've obviously never been to the salon, thank goodness, you know, when you're sitting there, because I've heard other people tell me, and Sherry's told me, when you're sitting there that close and someone's fixing your nails, fixing your toes, that's a gospel. Op Women, that is a gospel conversation. 
And Sherry's got to talk to the lady. She's from Cambodia, and that's who mission friends and CIA on Wednesday night right now in our church with the children. They're studying every conversation. If you're going to be with someone, riding in the car, sitting at the salon, having lunch with some co-workers, guys, have the eyes of faith like Paul did. He looked at this person. And he saw, hey, they are, they're eager. They're willing to listen and learn and hear about the, Jesus. Every conversation, however you can do it, should be, you turn it to a gospel conversation. And you ask them about their relationship with Jesus. That is what it means here. How can you tell if someone has faith for healing? There's a desire to learn. If someone's asking you questions about church or God, or they're talking about spiritual matters, Pick up that clue. They're open. They've run out of options. Look at this guy. He was lame. He had no options. There's a lot of folks. They have heard from their doctor. They know the medicine's only going to work so long. They're out of options. There's folks in our church this way. There's nothing more you could do. And look what happens when folks are out of options, when the only option is Jesus. Do you know what folks do when they do that? They respond with eagerness. This man responded. You want the Lord to start using you, you start having the eyes that Paul certainly had. Back to verse 21. Last eight verses here. This is when we get into church planning and about the return. What's happening here is Paul is now, look at our map. Let's go back to our map before we start reading. We're wrapping up. This will conclude the first missionary journey. He's all the way here in Derby. He's going all the way to the end. He's going to backtrack and he's going to go into some of these little towns and ultimately get back to Antioch here. Now, it's interesting. Remember, why on earth is the church base in Antioch? It was in Jerusalem. But what happened was the persecution broke out against the believers in Jerusalem and they went north. Antioch is a Gentile town. And it's a missionary. This one church, this one area, is a missionary sending area. It's a church. How exciting would it be that our church has that same reputation, that same Antioch spirit with missions, that we can look back over the years and name the ministers, the deacons, the missionaries, the church plants, the mission trips that have come from Broadway Baptist Church. What a blessing it would be a year or two from now where we're regularly ordaining young men to be deacons. We're regularly on Sunday night to be praying over mission teams as they head out to go serve the Lord, go to Chicago, Vermont. Cameroon, wherever they go. And we're commissioning and giving those people to the Lord. That's what was going on there in Antioch. Look what happens. After verse 21. After they had preached the gospel in that town. That's the little town of Derby they're talking about here. And made many disciples. We are called as to be disciple makers. If you don't know who should I disciple next Sunday night. There's a young couple you can certainly pour your life into. We'll be ordaining. That, those are two people you can invest in. 
They returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch. Now that, that Antioch there is the Pisidian Antioch there in Asia Minor, up at the, the other Antioch, not the home base one. And what do they do? They're, they're coming back through, so this is what they do. They're strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith. Let's stop and look at that. Look at this Bible verse. This verse is loaded with biblical principles for mature believers. Are you a mature believer in Jesus? Have you been saved many years? Because Paul and Barnabas were very mature. They understood what they were doing. So they're going back now. They're following up. And what are they doing? They're strengthening the disciples. The disciples are believers. They're going back into the towns. And how, how, how do you strengthen somebody? Do you offer discouragement? Do you complain? Do you gripe? Look what they're doing. Do you know encouragement is a spiritual gift? They are encouraging them. The way, if there's a problem, if someone's struggling, if someone's been out of church for a while, you encourage them. Encouraging them to continue in the faith. Hey, brother, I've missed you. I haven't seen you in Sunday school. Our ministry, your ministry, Paul's ministry as a missionary is to strengthen the church by encouraging people to continue in their faith. Everyone needs encouragement. We live in a lost world. An evil world, a world that wants to pull you away with distractions. In our staff meetings on Tuesday mornings, we're going through a book. And it's talking about distractions. Because if you're not careful, if the church isn't careful, including your spiritual life, you will be led by distractions. A church will be led and follow whatever the, is, the people feel is urgent right now. And anybody can make a pitch a fit and make something urgent. And you feel like, is this really the most important thing right now? Or is the most important thing encouraging and focused on gospel ministry. I want y'all to know something. This church will grow. This church's offerings will grow if our focus is on encouraging and pushing Jesus Christ. Your life, you see, answers the prayer when your focus is right here. You got it. This is what Paul did. He was an encourager. And certainly Barnabas, his name even was an encourager. And what happened here, it says he, by telling them it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. He's telling them this, reminding them that as believers, they will experience tough times. That's certainly the case today. We are believers. We stand here. You sit there knowing folks who are going through hard times. There's folks in our church right now who are in the hospital, who are in desperate need of prayer, who are in need of a, who are near of a, a physical touch. I went by, Brother Hurd, I've, I've been doing your job the past two weeks. Brother Hurd's been out, so I feel like I've been to the hospital every other week. Not toot my horn, Brother Hurd. Go ahead and try and take your job. Normally, my hospital day is Monday. I go visit folks. This week, I've been doing more because uh, Brother Hurd had eye surgery, but I went by uh, 
hospital, Baptist Health, on Friday and visit Steve Woodyard. He's, he's there at the hospital. Steve's 93 years old, and if he was physically able, he would be at this service right now. He'd be at this church every time the doors were open. He had, um, he had neck surgery, had some staples put in his neck and his spine, and he's just, he's just in a lot of pain. He's just struggling. And I want to tell you, I walked in this room, Brother Hurd, and on that little table right there, I walked in, and there was a Nintendo. Do y'all know what a Nintendo is? It's a little video games console. Was there a Nintendo on his table? No. There wasn't a Nintendo. There wasn't a cell phone. There wasn't any little toys there. Do you know what's sitting on this? Right there, he's in the hospital. His Bible was right there. He had his KJV Bible. I even talked about it. And he says, yeah, I wanted them to bring that. Because when people are hurting, when people are discouraged, when people are in need of touch from the Lord, they do not need a phone, a video game. They don't need to watch any more TV. If TV wasn't on, that man was in his bed hospital bed with his Bible right there. That man wanted the Word of God. 93 years old, he knew what's most important in life. And this is what that man wanted. And I want to tell y'all to know, we have a lost and dying world when our message is just like Mr. Woodyard's. No matter where you're at, the Word of God is alive. And it speaks to people, it heals people, and it changes people who's hurting. There's a lot of hurting folks, and our message is this book. And what Paul is doing here is he's reminding them. He's saying, Steve Woodyard, I know you're in the hospital, and your neck is hurting. You don't, the doctors only know what's wrong. But listen, God has a home for you in heaven. But before you get there, you're going to go through many hardships. And it leads us to, it prepares us for the kingdom that's coming. When we go through hardships, we hold to this book. Not to our phones, not to, not to Facebook, not to any video game or TV. And part of being rooted in the gospel is us having that same confidence that Paul has. Where we say, I need to be strengthened. Broadway needs to be strengthened. The ministry our church does to other folks is to strengthening people by with encouragement with the gospel truth. We have the greatest message in the world. You have the greatest message to, sh to tell. The greatest story to tell is one of a changed life. I was once lost, and I gave my life to Jesus, and now I'm a new and a different man. Keep going here in your Bible. Verse 23. The Bible goes on to say, well, they had appointed, look at this, elders for them in every church, and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. We're going to stop and look at this, because this is what we're doing next week. Okay, Paul and Barnabas, now what are we doing? We're going back through. Have you ever, maybe your home church, you, uh, you grew up in, you were raised in, Remember, my mom was about a year and a half ago. I was there at Shades Mountain Baptist. And I walked in. 
And you know, when you haven't been to your home church, and when you only go once every five or six, seven years, because you're somewhere else, but you do find, go back, you walk in, and you remember it, how it was when you left decades ago. So I walk in, and I look around, and I realize I don't know a single soul here. Literally. Everyone's different. Where is such and such? I mean, the, truly, the only person I left is parents and the pastor. I mean, that's about all that's left. I mean, because there are so, so many new folks, and just you know, life goes on with that. But what happens is, even though it was different, it was encouraging. Because there was new faces, new believers, new people that had come up in the Lord, and they were eager to learn and to serve and to worship the Lord. How sad would it have been if I had gone back to that place and nothing had changed. Literally, nothing had changed. No new faces, no new disciples, no new elders and leaders. The word elder is used interchangeable in the New Testament. And I just went over this with Jordan. There's two offices in Scripture. Elder, pastor, overseer, and bishop. If you see the, any of those four words being used, that is one office. That's the office I hold. It's the office Brother Hurd holds. If you're, that is a minister of a church. God has called and you've been ordained to the gospel ministry. So what's happened is Paul is putting pastors in place. That's what an elder is. It's someone who would teach regularly. That's what an elder is. A deacon is someone who serves. And that's another, that's the second office in a church. Those are the only two offices in a church. Pastor and, pastor and deacon. So Paul is appointing these elders. And what happens is they're praying and they're fasting. When is the last time you prayed and fasted for your church? For your pastor? For your deacons? Have you ever done that? Paul loves these churches because he planted them. He went into a pagan lost area and he poured his life into them and he's committing them to the Lord you know what that means you, he can't micromanage them because he's leaving so he's saying God I'm giving you these people when we ordain Jordan Bells next Sunday night we're committing him and Chelsea to the Lord for the rest of their life he will be have the office of deacon he will be an ordained deacon we're committing and giving this young family to serve the rest of their lives to the Lord. That's what it means. That is what Paul and Barnabas are doing. Believers are receiving that commitment. Last couple of verses here. Look here. In verse 24. They passed through Pisidia and came to Pamplonia. After they had spoken the word in Perga. This is down by the coast there in Asia Minor. They went down to Atelia. From there they sailed back to Antioch. So now they're, they're going back. Going back to um, uh, the, the place that commissioned and sent them. Where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. They just finished the first missionary journey. After they arrived and gathered the church together. So now they've showed back. They've been gone for several years, for three years. This is in A.D. 44 through 46. 
So they've been gone three years, and now they've come back. After they arrived and gathered the church together, look at this, they reported everything God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a considerable time with the disciples there in Antioch. So let's go back to the map here. We'll try to see what's, what's occurring. They have now come back. They've sailed all the way back, and they're back here in Antioch. And when they showed up, they gave a report of what the Lord is doing. All these Gentiles had been saved, and these new churches and these new leaders had been appointed, and elders were started. And now we're sharing about this. Regularly at this church, you should be hearing and giving, hearing about reports of what the Lord is doing. You should be having folks give testimonies. Pull out your bulletin insert here. What is involved in church planning? What Paul just did for these three years is went around starting a new work. Church planning is a form of evangelism. You're going into an area where there's need of a gospel preaching, teaching church, and you're starting a new work. And it's very important when you start that new work, you have a man there to pastor and people to serve that church. You got to start with your leadership. And that's what Paul is doing. He's going there and he starts it, he disciples, and then he leaves. Why is church planning so important? It is the New Testament pattern for advancing the gospel. The book of Acts is all about church planning. Number two, it creates an evangelistic passion. You're working with spiritually lost people by leading them to faith in Christ. Folks planted this church in 1952, and it has reached thousands of peoples in 60 years seven years. Folks have gotten saved from those 25 original founding members. It forces you to rely upon the Holy Spirit. You know what? You, there's no committees. There's no structure. You're walking in and you're doing something new. So who do you rely on? The Holy Spirit. You can't rely on the bylaws. There aren't any. You can't rely upon the next month's business meeting. There isn't one. You're going in and starting something from scratch. We're beginning a new work, what God is doing. There's no existing programs. There's no traditions you have to deal with. Number four, it doesn't happen accidentally. You don't just happen to fall into church playing. Say, oh, look, a church just showed up. Where did it come from? Every single church here in America, someone had to take the initiative to say, I am willing to go. I'm going to go and pastor a new church. I'm going to go start this new work. We're going to build this building. We're going to purchase this land. We're going to build this fellowship hall, whatever it is. We're going to rent this storefront, wherever their location is going to be. It starts with intentionality. I'm sharing all this because, listen, if Paul is doing it, if God has put this in the Bible for us, there's a reason why. Because he wants us to do the same. And fifthly here, how? How do we support church planning? Sending out a church planning team. Can you think about, when is the last church planning team that left from Broadway Baptist Church? Financially sponsor a new plan. 
when's the last time we financially sponsored a new plant? Many of you say, well, where's a church plant? Look at the third one. Begin praying for and working with a church plant in Lexington. Do you even know of a church plant in Lexington? Remember we had revival back in uh, September? Remember the night where we had that evening where the gentleman from the police department, the chaplain, came and shared? He's planning. He had just planted a new church. That is a church plant. It's a brand new church, a Southern Baptist church, that him and several of his church planting families have started right here in our city. And God will bless and honor that plant. And it will grow. 30 years from now, that church might have a different name, but it was started because a group of folks said, I want to plant a new work. I want to start a new, a new movement. God wants our church, God wants you and I to be engaged and be supportive of church planning. Even if you can't give a dime, anyone can pray for a church planner. Paul is coveting and begging for people's prayers. He's going into these towns that have no gospel witness, and he's starting a new work. And he's asking for those prayers. They're gathering around, praying for Paul, lifting him up to the Lord. Tonight's message, what this was all about, this whole uh, wrapping up Paul's first missionary journey, we're reminded of the importance of evangelism in church planning. Church planning is one of the best ways to advance the gospel. And maybe down the road, God will raise you up to be a part of a church plan. Say, I want to be a part of this new work. See God do something new and exciting. What's powerful about this passage too is we see how God, when your focus is on evangelism and discipleship, and when you commit people to the Lord, God blessed and honored these churches. Now, what's interesting is Dr. McLemore here tonight, he's been to every one of these places. All through Turkey. And you know, the sad thing is, you know, obviously in Turkey, it's now Islamic area. None of these churches actually still exist. Now, the ruins are there. There's remains. But you can't go to Lister Baptist Church today. Now, there might be a Lister Baptist Church, but it's not the one that Paul started 2,000 years ago. We have to be reminded that when people drift from the gospel and the truth of this Bible right here, and they drift somewhere else, God will allow that church to die out. That's why the book of Revelation, those, the first address to those first seven churches, because the ones that were tolerating sin and the ones that were lukewarm, Jesus says, I'm going to spit you out, meaning church, you will die and go out of business. If you get away from gospel truth of missions and evangelism and the word of God, your church folds and it's sad. We are rooted in our foundational is that of gospel advance. God wants Broadway Baptist to be a part of church planning. 
you should be praying for your missions committee. The chairperson of the missions committee is Miss Chelsea Bells. Next Sunday night, tell her you're praying for her as she leads our missions committee and wants our church to be a part of being engaged in missions in evangelism. That is the type of church Sherry Osmond and I want to pastor. We want to raise our family in. You as a church member and a leader here want to be a part of. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I pray tonight that you have spoken to us about the importance of church planning and about being intentional in our discipleship and seeing folks grow and advance for the gospel. Lord, you don't want us to sit around playing around any more games. This is serious business. There is lostness. There are Gentiles who do not know you all around. And Paul was aggressive in taking the gospel to them. Lord, make us like Steve Woodyard. All we want is our Bible and our in our hospital room. Nothing else matters but the Word of God. Everything else is pointless except this book. God, I pray that we are grounded on this. Lord, if there's anybody here tonight, they need to make a decision. They need to respond to your Word. I pray, just like Paul, he called for a response, that they are encouraged to do so. Lord, we give you this sermon. In Jesus' name we pray.